Welcome to Healthy Habits Happy Moms Radio, where we are all about helping you find balance in food, fitness, and family 365 days a year with your hosts, Jennifer Campbell, Lauren Kosky, and Annie Breeze. hope you have your tissues ready for today's episode because if you are anything like Jen or myself, you are going to need them as we are talking about the highly emotional topic of mother-daughter connections. And who better to interview on that topic than Hillary McBride? Hillary is a registered clinical counselor and PhD candidate in counseling psychology at the University of British Columbia, and her work and research focus primarily on women's body, self-relationships, and body image development, among many other areas. The book tells the story of Hillary's own recovery from disordered eating, her clinical work with women as they learn to love their bodies, and her academic research about mother-daughter relationships, as well as the messages we hear from women in our lives about our bodies. Let me tell you, I have the book, I've read the book, and it's amazing. The stories and the research combined have really opened my eyes even more so than they were already to the power of the mother-daughter connection. And even if you don't have a daughter, All of us women listening were a daughter in some capacity, whether it was a positive or negative relationship with our mother. And we do talk about men and boys as well in this episode. And I cannot wait for you to hear her on today's episode. Enjoy. Hillary, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you? I'm so thrilled to be joining you today. We are thrilled. Your book is amazing. And we're going to talk about it. I don't want to spoil any of the fun. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, (laughs) but it is amazing. Uh, Jen, Mm. how are you? Good. It's also snowing here, but that's expected in central British Columbia. Hillary's in Vancouver, which the Americans that listen to us I think they think Canada is just this big snowy plain, oh. but actually Vancouver doesn't get snow that often. So, it's and true. I lived there last year. So Hillary, I know that that's, that's like crazy. Yeah. Fortunately, my, my clinical office where I do therapy is about three or four blocks away from my apartment. So I can walk there today, even though there's snow, I can put on my boots and I can mosey on down, but you're so right, Jen. It's uh, it's a rare thing in Vancouver to get snow. So I'm kind of jealous because I'm in Iowa. Normally we would have had snow by now, but we have really? not, I think we've had maybe just a light dusting and it's like Ooh. 40 or 50 degrees here. And I cannot get into the Christmas spirit. Like I, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I am like Grinch right now. No. I, I like, I don't really, I actually bought Santa bags for my kids. So I don't even have to wrap them presents. That's so <laughs> Which smart. Is, yeah. Some people like do it anyways, time. but yeah. yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just, you know, all about efficiency anyways. Um, so Hillary, you wrote this book and you, mm-hmm. it's, it's before I even get into it, it's available in Barnes and Noble on amazon.ca for Canada, amazon.com. Where else is it available? Uh, chapters Indigo in Canada. Um, pretty much any local bookstore, if they don't have it, they can order it in. Perfect. And it is called Mothers, Daughters, and Body Image, Learning to Love Ourselves as We Are. And it's just a gem of a book. And as you know, Mm -hmm. our audience is predominantly women, mostly Mm -hmm. mothers, all of them daughters to someone at some point in some capacity. Um, you are not a mom and we were kind of talking about this before the podcast. Yeah. But can you tell us a little bit about how you became so interested in the connection between mothers and daughters and body image? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a, it's funny you bring that up because a lot of people ask me how many kids I have after they hear that I've written a book about mothers and daughters. And I always like to say everybody every woman is a daughter, exactly like you said, every woman is a daughter. And so we all have the experience of being mothered, whether it was a positive experience or not. And that adds something to our analysis of what the mother-daughter relationship is like. So after uh, recovering from an eating disorder, I went back to grad school. I had finished my undergrad in psychology and I had decided that I really wanted to be a therapist. And in the process of doing grad school, I was in a thesis track of my master's program and I had to pick a topic. I had to pick something to research. And so in the process of picking something to research, I started looking at some of the stuff that was really interesting to me. Things like uh, women's experiences of their bodies, women's relationships to their image, um, resisting pressures around image, you know, all of the stuff that so many of us struggle with as women. And the more that I came across 
body image stuff, the more that mom pieces started to come up. So things like mothers actually being an important source of influence in daughter's body image and mothers being a predictor for eating disorders in their daughters. And I had this question that was lingering for me, which was, what, what do I do if I become a mother one day so that my daughter doesn't suffer with her body, with her image the same way that I did? And so I became really interested in the concept of mothers actually being a protective factor. And that's not something that's talked about in the academic research at all. We don't have a ton of research about mothers, mothers doing things right, but we've got tons of research that leads to this phenomenon we call mother blaming, which is that if anything goes wrong in a kid, the moms are the first people that we point the finger at. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is so true. So one of the things that I wanted to do was say, well, if moms are that powerful that they deserve to be blamed for everything, then maybe moms are so powerful that they could actually be protective factors in their kid's life. So I was looking at two things in my academic research. One, what, what does it mean for women to love their bodies just as they are? And two, does, do their moms have anything to do with that? So those, the, the intersection of those two questions is where my master's research lied. And that was the research that formed the foundation for this book. In addition to my, my experience of recovering from an eating disorder, as well as some of my clinical work and some of the existing research out there. But really the interest started when I came across this literature that said, moms are getting blamed for everything. And I thought there's got to be so much more. There's got to be so much more than that. So just developed this interest clinically, academically, and looking at the mother-daughter relationship and started reading voraciously about it um, and talking to people about it. But it seems the more that I talk about it with people that everybody's got a story about their mom, that it's this kind of relationship that eclipses so many of the other relationships. You know, you hear from someone who's going home for Christmas and their mom says one little thing and they're pulled (laughs) right back into feeling like a teenager who's stuck in their house or, you know, they're hurting and nobody can make them feel better except their mom. It seems that this relationship pretty much above any other relationship is forms the foundation for how we experience ourselves and the world. And so I wanted to talk about what happens when that goes right and what we can learn. I'm going to need a tissue. I'm already crying. <laughs> I know. Oh, beautiful, Hillary. I'm just like, wow, that's... I know. I have, like, my eyes are watering up and I have chills. Like, wow. this is just, um, yeah. Like, I, I just on a personal note, I'm wow. obviously a mom of three. I have two daughters and my mom um, passed away and <laughs> she was just an amazing woman. And I wish I could yeah. share my work with her now and yes. thank, thank her for um, so yeah. many gifts that she gave me um, because she did do a lot. Right. And I wish I could yeah. tell her that now and I'm going to get it together for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Can I, I want to um, say one thing to that. Yes. I often tell people when they've lost their mom is that if you think about a French braid, this is such a, a woman analogy, but if you think about a French braid, how you grab strands of hair and you braid them into each other, at the end of the braid, you have no idea where the hair came from. It's all integrated into the same braid. Everything that was parts comes together. And in the same way, all of the women in your life have been braided into the story of who you are. You carry them with you. You carry them in you. And so even though you can't have that conversation with your mom out loud, she is with you. She is in you. She is a part. You carry her in you everywhere you go. And so on some level, I feel like she knows. Yeah. That's just amazing. <laughs> I am not a crier. Like, what is, what is happening? <laughs> what is happening? Yeah. You Jen, did it. No, my hands are not running down my face. <laughs> Jen's over there, waterworks, and I'm like, dude, just trying to shove this emotion down, which no, is something I'm, I'm working on. I'm That's working right. On, I'm working on feeling the feels, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, just yeah. let it out. Good. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, this is a hot mess in, in a matter That's of good. 10 minutes. Okay, so let's talk about the research, the, the actual, um, because I think, you know, we can all share these stories and we have anecdotal evidence galore, 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 but yes. you actually found research that backed what your experience, what your stories, uh, the stories that these women in your book and these daughters were yes. sharing with you, you found research to support it. So can you just yes. uh, tell me a little bit about what you found, the actual yeah. connection? 
Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that happens when you're doing academic research is that you can have a question. You can say, mm, what do I think is going to happen here? But you're really actually not supposed to make any assumptions about what you're going to find and not find. And you don't want to impose onto the data the things that you you think that you're going to find. And so really you have a hypothesis, but there's no way of knowing what you're going to find. And just from what I saw in the academic literature, it seemed like women who love their bodies were something that were very far between, few and far between, that this was not something that actually showed up very often. And so I had this hypothesis that there would be women who loved their bodies, but really there was no way of knowing if I was going to find them and how and how many. And there was a joke that we had in, in my research team, actually, with my, my academic supervisor, that there weren't going to be any women who love their bodies because the academic literature shows us the the research that's existing shows us that between i mean the rates vary depending on when the research was done but between 60 and 80 percent of women hate their bodies and so i thought if you look at that statistically this 20 percent roughly sometimes even 10 percent in some statistics you know, that's a minority of women who love their bodies. Where am I going to find them? And what are they like? And what am I going to have to do to connect with these women? And truthfully, what was fascinating about the research is that I proposed the study, got the study approved. And when you're doing academic research, you have to get everything approved through ethics and you have to get it peer reviewed. And it's quite a big ordeal. But Everyone was kind of like, I don't know if we're going to find participants. I don't know. I don't know. And then I put this call out for women and I said, do you, are you between 19 and 30? Have you never had an eating disorder or never had body dysmorphic disorder? No symptoms of eating disorders. Um, do you love your body just as it is? And the response was overwhelming. Wow. And there was this mismatch of we thought we weren't going to get anyone and here we're getting so many, I can't even respond to all of them, hundreds and hundreds of women just in the span of 24 hours. And that for people who know, for the listeners who know about research and finding participants, that does not happen. Right. It doesn't happen. You have to scrape and you have to, you know, make connections and often people have to do advertisements and all sorts of stuff. And so when I started talking to these women about what, what was going on for them, like I didn't think I was going to find anyone. They said, there's so many of us who love our bodies, but we're not allowed to talk about it with other women because they don't want us to take up space in a conversation talking about something that they don't identify with. And so women who love their bodies are often silenced out of conversation because none of the other women in the conversation know how to relate to them. So there is this group of women who love their bodies who are actually self-silencing and being silenced by other women because the experience of normative discontent is so common that we don't actually know how to relate to women who don't feel that. So whenever I'm speaking, one of the things that I often say is, you know, you know if you go and you talk to a woman and she says, I love my thighs. Oh, when they rub together, I just love it right? What, like, what do you say? There's no, you, yeah, you'd be like, that's awesome. But like, where does the conversation go from there? But let's flip it on its head and say, if you were sitting with a friend who said, oh my gosh, my, my spare tire and I ate too much cake last night. We know exactly how the conversation is supposed to go. There are, there's, Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah, right absolutely. and we say things like no you didn't you, you know you think your body no 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 no. I, my, I weigh way more than you or we can say oh don't worry about it like you We're treat bonding. yourself that's how we bond yeah exactly and that's yeah. actually something a phenomenon in the research that we call fat talk which is how women actually form connections over hating their body and it seems central to the identity of being a woman and a mother to put yourself down as a way of one being a part of the group and two, making other women feel better. Yeah. So what's so fascinating is that there is this subpopulation of women who love their bodies. And increasingly now we're seeing that that's an okay thing to talk about with body positivity and all of that. But it seems like for the most, for the majority of women, that's just not something that's allowed. And even as I'm sure you read, there's the story of a woman in the book who's young and she's at a pool party. She's 13 or something. And her friend says, you know, I'm, I can't go out in my bathing suit. And she, I'm fat. And she says, what are you talking about? Let's just go out. And she says, well, you wouldn't know. And all of a sudden this girl who isn't, doesn't experience herself as being overweight is now shut out from the pool party because 
because she doesn't want to shame her own body. Right. So I'll tell you a few things about what I learned from the research. I've just pulled up some of my slides actually from my. Hillary, are you, I think what I'm hearing from you is that um, girls are learning that they need to hate their bodies in order to participate in our society yes. and connect Absolutely. with other women. Yeah. So we're finding that a way to feel close to other women is to put ourselves down. And there's research to show that girls, girls value relational connection over a sense of independence and what we would call um, objective rightness. So research from the work of Carol Gilligan, who is a really famous feminist psychologist, showed that girls often make moral decisions, make decisions about what's right and wrong based on preserving connection. So the, the classic example is if you say to, if a girlfriend says to you, like, do I look awful in these jeans? Do, does my butt look too big? We say no. Or like, oh, you look fantastic. And after, even if someone else would have said, well, they didn't fit her great, the thing that's true for us is what makes her feel better. So truth is defined as preserving relational connection for women. Right. Whereas if you ask men, the way that men are often socialized to value independence and objective truth, if you kept, you know, in quotations, truth, if you say to a dude or to, you know, to your partner, do it, how do I look in these jeans? They will often not have any problem saying it, they, they don't look great on you. <laughs> this fits really well with a podcast we did with Connor Beaton. Do you know Connor Beaton? He's no, also a Vancouver. He's the, he's the host of Man Talks. Um, oh. And it's a, yeah, it's a big podcast. And um, he's based out of Vancouver and New York City. And we had him on, um, we interviewed him last week. And one of our questions came from our audience and it was to do with relationships and why husbands, partners sometimes say hurtful things yeah. um, to their wives, especially about their bodies. Right. And Connor said the same thing. He said, mm. men, it's the way we communicate. It's, you know, it's not always intended. It's men have to learn <laughs> to, how to talk to women. Um, and meet them where they're at rather than talking to them like they would talk to a guy friend. Exactly. Yeah. It was so funny because that just fits perfectly with our Yeah. Lives. So then when you think about what happens between women, they're doing anything they can often to preserve that sense of relational connection. We're doing anything to not isolate our girlfriends, to not make them feel bad. In fact, often how, how often do we silence ourselves and say like, oh, that really hurt, but I'm not going to say anything because I don't, I don't want to make it weird. Yeah. I don't want to make her uncomfortable. I just, it's just going to be awkward. So we push the stuff down as a way of preserving the relational connection. But on the flip side with fat talk, what you see is that women are bonding over putting their bodies down as a way of preserving connection. So the connection piece is often what drives so much of how we respond to girlfriends, what we, what we want to hear from them. We want something that makes us feel close and connected and like someone's on our team. So can I, I want to jump into some of the results from the research. Is that cool? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Amazing. So in, in my research, I looked at women who love their bodies. And then I also did another set of interviews with those women's mothers. So I actually looked at women between 19 and 30. And then I also interviewed their mother, mothers, regardless of what their age was or what their situation was or how they felt about their bodies. And so then I got what was this really interesting analysis because I asked the mothers about their mothers too. So we've got mothers talking about their mothers right, and those so mothers talking. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Three generations of women. And I did a dyadic analysis looking at how the young women talked about their bodies compared to how the mothers talked about their bodies without ever having had them in the same room. And what was fascinating is when I asked women to answer this question, my body is... Often, the mothers and the daughters gave an extremely similar answer. Wow. So even in some cases, the exact same word. And this, they're not even in the same room. And so that has really interesting implications for how moms talk about their bodies because you are literally gifting your child with a narrative about, your bo about their bodies based on what you say about your own. 
that is just like you're handing over to them all of these stories. So what was interesting about these young women who who identified as loving their bodies, they all spoke about their mothers. So whenever they talked about their moms, they used this, this language of connection. So feeling close and not necessarily always having the same ideas, but feeling safe. Like I can say, I can say anything to my mom. And even if she doesn't agree with me, it's going to be okay. That there is a sense of safety and connectedness that transcends whether you agree or not. And that there is an ability to, to be yourself with your mom. And all of the women actually did, even though they love their bodies as they are, they did struggle with their body, particularly around puberty. And there was this something that we call like a negotiating a transition, which means things are changing and you have a few different ways that you can respond to those changes. And these women came out on the other end being okay, but puberty is this really pivotal point where how do you respond to the fact that your body feels different one day than it did the day before or it will the day after. And so there was conversations that these women had with their mothers and with their peers around navigating those navigating that transition, navigating the changes in their bodies in a way that allowed them to do that and not end up hating themselves after. It's okay that it feels rough when you're like, oh, pants don't fit. That's weird. It's kind of annoying. I have to go buy new pants now. Or like, mm-hmm. oh, what does it mean to have a period? Or what does it mean that like my body is doing all f- sorts of funky stuff or my skin looks different? But it doesn't mean that you have to hate yourself because that's happening. <clears throat> I, I'm 34 years old, long past puberty, and I still feel like that some days. I'm like, oh, yeah. wait, yeah, I, I mean, didn't feel like this yesterday. <laughs> I would say, I, I often say to women, um, different doesn't mean worse. It's just yeah. different. Yeah. And I, I think women go through um, some big transitional times in their lives just mm-hmm. because we're the, it's the nature of being women, big hormonal yeah. changes, yeah. Um, puberty, and pregnancy and postpartum will yeah. again be a time that your body will change and probably look different on the other yeah. side. And then menopause. I was just going to say, yeah. And those are the three areas that I research in terms of women's feelings about their bodies because they're the three significant developmental transitions where women again have to find a sense of being at home in a body that's changing. And how can you maintain a sense of like, okay, I'm going to roll with this and I'm actually going to find all the things about this new body that I have that I love. And it's okay for me to grieve my old body, but it doesn't mean that the one that I have is bad. And in a culture that like perpetually... Um, promotes a body that is desirable as being young, fertile, sexy, thin, um, healthy. Yeah. When your body is changing and is becoming likely, yes, less young, less thin at through age, often less healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have this the the narrative of an aging female body as being matronly instead of sexy or powerful or wise that it makes it harder and harder as women age to feel like they can transition and do that well. Because even the puberty transition, when you look at it from a, from a developmental psychology perspective and how it's situated in um, a sociocultural context, your body's changing, but it's changing in a way that's actually becoming more desirable because you're getting breasts and you're becoming a sexualized woman. And so the change is painful, but socially rewarded. Right. Whereas the change that happens with motherhood is often socially devalued again with menopause. So these changes happen, but what society tells us, the mirror that they hold up based on those body changes can impact whether it's a transition that feels you know, positive or successful or one that feels really painful and hard to navigate. And what Annie and I see, I guess, being in the fitness industry is mm-hmm. um, sort of a hysteria around getting your body back after yeah. pregnancy. Oh, yeah. And it's driving some really unhealthy behaviors in women. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking. I mean, I've been there too myself and I think Annie would say she has been there too. So we understand it. What you're telling us here the research is validating my intuition on the topic. Mm-hmm. In my own journey, I've never, I've dug into some research, um, but not to this level. In fact, 
I was saying before we started recording, and I want to say this again, that your book is like opening Pandora's box for me. It is validating everything we've been talking about with research. It's just exactly what I've been looking for mm. to send all mums to, to read. It just puts everything together. 211 pages, I think. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Oh, that's exactly what I wanted. That's exactly what I wanted. So I'm so, I'm so pleased to hear you say that. And now we have the words to yeah. talk to our daughters. We, we live in a society that is yet totally gross and toxic around um, how it treats female bodies. And, you know, I just think I feel so lucky to live in this era where, you know, we're really pushing for this information and we have incredible people like you that are researching this because now our generation of moms can prepare our daughters and we can you know, we can talk more about, you know, facts, like your body is going to change in, in puberty. It's going to change in pregnancy. It's going to change postpartum. It's going to change yeah. in menopause. But, you know, we meet women every day that they may have had a relatively positive body image, or maybe even a false sense of positive body image until they hit pregnancy and postpartum. And that is when they panic, yeah. jump on the diet train and you know, it's just, it like can railroad their whole yeah. and entry years into motherhood. And it is, it's so sad. It is so sad when these are totally normal and natural things that yeah. girls are, that women are experiencing. Yeah. Well, it makes me think about something you said that was actually very on point. If we love our bodies, but we only love them because they look exactly like they're supposed to, then right. as soon as they change, then we have to grapple with what it looks like that our body doesn't fit the ideal anymore. And that's different than what I'm proposing, which is that we love our bodies just as they are yeah, through the ideal unconditionally, exactly. Which means that if it transitions, then we can move with that and appreciate it in all of its weird and wonderful ways. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like marriage, right? If, if you're married or you're committed and you're in a partnership with someone you don't say, I love you because you look like you did on our wedding day. You say, I find a way to love you because we've been through this journey together and there's no one else who's seen all of the wounds and all of the joys yeah. with me like you have. And to think about having a relationship like that with our bodies where we say no matter what, mm -hmm. no matter whether you stretch marks, gain weight, hot flashes, whatever it is, this is, a, this is my home. This is my love. Um, you know, I think... It, our, a lot of our listeners are probably sitting here and nodding their head in agreement saying, yes, I, I can identify with this. I hear my own story in some of this research with my connection and my relationship with my mother and maybe even my daughter. Um, but maybe they're still struggling with their own body image. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to read this without crying, but this is from your, <laughs> from, from your book Let's um, hear right, it. right in the beginning. And I think this is like, this is why it's so needed. If mothers are really as influential as we say they are, then they have the potential through relationship with their daughters to protect their daughters, to fight for them, to create a new world for them and give them freedom, not just baggage. The best news of all is that this can happen even when mothers are still struggling in their own journey to love their body. And I just love that, that it's your message is not that you have to be at this point already. You don't have to be at the no. end results. You don't have nope. to have this unconditional love for your body to make a positive impact on your yeah. children's lives and, and, and the women around you, not even just your kids and your daughters, Absolutely. like passing this on to all the women in your lives. Like you don't have to be at this, like I'm perfect. No. I don't have any issues. I don't ever have a bad body image day. I don't ever feel bad about my body. You don't have to be at that point to make a positive impact. And I think that is just so hopeful. You're getting all fired up. I, I know. Love it. I, I, I know because it's like, yeah, like, yeah. you know, um, and, and you go on to say, uh, I, I have this highlight. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to be perfect to help change things in your daughter's life in your community and the world. In fact, what the world of young and not so young women need is to see other women who in spite of being imperfect are a powerful force to be reckoned with. Yes. Like yeah. sign me up for that. I'm sure we could spend more time talking on the research, but I want to get into yeah, yeah. women who are struggling with their body image. They're maybe not like feeling comfortable in their home and their body right now. Uh, when I say home, I mean body, not body. Home. I hope yeah. everyone feels safe in their home. Yeah. Um, 
But you talk a lot about giving your children, your daughters, a ladder to step on their shoulders. And mm. can you explain to us what that means and how women who are not feeling uh, super rad in the moment can yeah. still use that tool yeah. to help improve their lives? Yeah. One of the most powerful things that I've learned through my work of being a therapist and through my research and my master's and my PhD is that part of healthy relationships means taking ownership and talking about the real things that are going on instead of sweeping them under the rug. And so there can actually be something really powerful in relationships about saying what's actually happening, about saying, I want to be close to you, but I don't know how, and I'm scared because you're you know, whatever, because you're, you're meeting all these new girlfriends at high school and I'm afraid our relationship is going to change or to say, I've really struggled with anxiety and my anxiety started when I was your age. And so I want to have a conversation with you about that instead of pretending that anxiety never happened. So having these authentic and vulnerable conversations can change everything because it reminds kids that when you're an adult, you don't have to be, have it all together. What you're saying is, here's a map of adulthood that includes struggle, which means that when they get to be adults, they're not wondering what to do with their struggle because they never saw their parents have a struggle. You're mm -hmm. actually giving them a sense of knowing this is, this is what adult life looks like, and it means sometimes grappling with stuff. So on that, on the back of that, there's a phrase that I often love um, when people say it's that parents want their kids they want their ceiling to be their kid's floor. You want the height that you can get to, the highest possible growth experience of fullness and freedom to just be the beginning for your kids. And so that's what the metaphor of the ladder is about. It's about saying, I wanna gift you with the experience of a way to get out of the things that I struggled with so that you don't have to hurt the ways that I've hurt. And I'm gonna do the work and I'm gonna own my stuff so that I can help you feel freedom that I have never felt. And that doesn't mean that I have to be through it, but it means that I'm going to acknowledge my struggles and it means that I'm going to talk about them with you in a way that empowers you. And I'm going to take the time that I need in my life to take, to care for myself and nurture myself, which means moms actually showing up for themselves instead of being a martyr, always actually going like, Whoa, I need to work on my stuff. But with the intention of saying that your kids deserve to have more freedom than you ever did. And the beautiful, the iterative process here is that often when kids experience that freedom that you gifted them with, that they end up helping you be more free. And the circle goes around and around and around. Jen, you doing okay over there? <laughs> I just, I can't stop crying. So, it is so beautiful. It is. It, it really is. Um, you talk a, a lot about I think you have a note on there about inconsistencies. Oh yeah. Can yeah. you talk a little bit? You know what I got from that was that the daughters don't daughters don't need you to be perfect. No, they just they but you know rather consistent. And I think like that's like a load off my shoulders as yeah. as a mom <clears throat> to two daughters. Like they yeah. don't they you know I can make mistakes and uh, as you said authentically talk about it and be like you know what yeah. this is how I'm feeling and this is yeah. how I'm gonna handle it and. What do you think? And let's just have a conversation about it. So can you talk a little bit about picking up on inconsistencies? And yeah. What daughters, daughters can sense? Okay. So this is a really fascinating finding from the research that I did. I would ask moms to say, what, what kind of messages did you communicate to your daughters about your body? And they would say, oh, you know, I don't think I really said anything at all. Um, I don't remember having any of those conversations. I don't, I don't even really think I ever said anything about my body. Then cut to interviews with the daughters. And I say, what did your mom teach you about her body? And they can rattle off this long list of things that they saw their moms do when their moms didn't know they were watching or the things that their mom said while they're looking for an outfit before going to a wedding or looking for an outfit before going to a job interview and hearing their moms, you know, seeing them grab the skin that hangs over the top of their jeans and make a grimace on their face. And so the inconsistencies are an important thing to note because moms don't often know the kinds of messages that they're passing along. All the more reason if you are having a struggle with your body to get some support so that you don't have to keep hurting yourself in that way. And then something that you can 
then gift your kid is the experience of them seeing that you care enough about yourself and them to work on the things that are getting in the way. But kids notice those inconsistencies. And so moms have to be really aware of the messages that they're passing on that they don't even know they're passing on. One of the ones that I talk about lots is when I was in recovery from eating disorders in and out of treatment and all sorts of stuff. I remember my mom really saying like, we, you know, trying to keep up with my eating and getting me to eat all the right stuff. And then I would look in the fridge at the beginning of the day and see her lunch bag and see at the end of the day that her lunch bag had all the food in it. And I remember thinking, you didn't eat either. You didn't eat. And yet you're trying to get me to eat because you've told me it's how I stay alive. And yet, and she never said anything about that, but I saw that and put that together. And so moms need to be not perfect, but aware of those inconsistencies and perhaps be as aware as your kids are seeing the things that you're, you're doing to your body in the mirror when your little girl's peeking around the corner or what you say to your friends when you're on the phone, when you don't know that your kid is playing in the next room and you don't know that they're listening. So the inconsistencies show up across the board and that old, that old adage of do what I say, not what I do. It doesn't work. Because kids pick up on the messages that you, all the things that you say without actually saying them by what you're doing. And you need to be aware that the messages are consistent, right? But when there are inconsistencies, name them and talk about them. And if you say, I think there's something really beautiful about saying to your children, if you ever catch me doing the things that I'm telling you not to do, I want you to know that you can tell me so that I can change that. So I can give you a message that's consistent. So I always like to say to parents, one of the best things you can gift your kids with is the ability to think critically. But guess what that means is that they're going to think critically about you. And there's going to be some stuff that comes back at you where they're saying, (laughs) say that it's okay to love your body, but you're weighing yourself every morning. You make a really sad face when you weigh yourself. Right. And so for kids to be able to point out to their parents the inconsistencies and to call them on that, man, that's got to be annoying as a parent. But what a beautiful thing that your children are learning to think critically about a world that's funneling right into their minds all of these really horrific stories about bodies. So I wanted, yeah. I wanted to share a story um, yeah. about my nieces. So we released a podcast. Um, Annie interviewed uh, me and my sister. And, um, you have to listen to it, Hillary. It's just, it connects so well with this podcast. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, you know, uh, through my work and my sister's work, my sister actually works for us and is a coach uh, in Mm -hmm. balance 365, our program. And, um, we covered, she, she's just doing such a fantastic job raising her daughters and, um, she grew up uh, the big sister and I grew up the small sister. And so we sort of explored that and explored our upbringing and explored both of us ending up with rampant um, body image issues and um, disordered eating behaviors. Mm-hmm. But um, she's just doing such an amazing job with her daughters and teaching them to be critical thinkers. And I had a moment um, two years ago now um, I got into the car, uh, my sister was picking me up and um, her and I and her daughters were going to a musical. Okay. I got into the car and I, we were driving downtown and you know, I just thought her daughters weren't listening. And I said to my sister, I'm, I'm just not feeling good about my body lately. And her youngest daughter piped up from the back seat. She would have been, she'd been six years old. And okay. she said, why are you talking negatively about your body? <laughs> wow. Wow. And it was such a check for me. And yeah. I mean, I'm sharing this because I'm just trying to be vulnerable with our listeners yeah. and yeah. that I made mistakes. And I, I don't think our listeners or, or our audience um, real, may, might realize that Lauren and Annie and I, we have bad body image days still Mm -hmm. to this day. Mm -hmm. I guess the difference is my narrative isn't my body is bad. My narrative is now I'm having a bad body image issue. What's going on with good for you? What else is happening? Yes. So anyways, it was just, it was just amazing. And it was such a reality check to me that one, they're listening and two, that my sister is such an amazing mom and how she's, what she's teaching her daughters to do. And, and 
yeah. So anyways, I just thought I would share that. Oh, I love that. And one of the things I want to point out is the language that you use. Instead of saying something like, I hate my body, using language like, I'm having a bad body image day. Instead of my body is bad, you're not actually attacking your body. You're talking about the, the story in your head yeah. is a negative one today. Your body is good and is always good and is never going to stop being good. But the story that you tell about your body might be more critical on some days or another. And it's also okay to say things like, today I'm really struggling to find, to, I'm struggling today to really sit with the incredibleness of, of my body and being alive instead of my body's bad or I hate my body or it looks, it looks yucky to say something like, I, I'm finding it hard to love my body today. And I think there's, it's probably something going on. Like I wouldn't be surprised if that was also coexisting with, and I'm having a hard time seeing beauty in the world and feeling positive about the future that we, when we have this negative filter in our head, it tends to get turned on everything, including how we look and our relationships and our parenting and our accomplishments and everything. So instead of my body's bad today to say, I'm having a hard day today and I'm being critical of everything what's going on. Yeah. And we hear a lot, I think when their life is spiraling in some way, there's something that is out of their control. They turn to their bodies as a place that they can control and that makes them feel safe where for me, I just started exploring, you know, we, we encourage women to ask why five times to get to the bottom of um, what they're really feeling. So when I started doing that for myself, I, I found that my body, my bad body image days were highly correlated um, with my period, Mm. which is just like a hormonal um, Mm -hmm. time. Also, um, any tension between uh, my husband and I. So, and that has taken, you know, a lot of work (laughs) with a therapist and that my happiness can exist outside of tension with my husband. And, you know, so it's just, it's sort of like exploring those things has been so good for me, facing them, not turning away, but facing them, digging in, finding out why is really how I've been able to strengthen my own body image and make myself more resilient to society messages and my own runaway thoughts. Good for you. And I think, you know, this is something I am currently, you can ask Jen, we talk a lot about this, (laughs) currently trying to work on is, I think for the longest time, I just thought I needed to feel better about my body. I just like, I wanted to build up this immunity so I would never, ever feel bad ever again. Mm -hmm. And that's really not how it works. Um, And I don't even think that that's like a reasonable goal to have, but rather that when I do feel those emotions, when I do feel those feelings, to just kind of like notice them, create awareness about them, yeah. sit with them and forgive myself for feeling, you know, crummy on one of those days and then, yeah. and then, you know, let it go and, yeah. and move on. And I just kept thinking that if I just had more self-confidence, if I just felt better, mm-hmm. if I just, you know, built up my resiliency and my immunity that I would never, ever have to feel a bad emotion ever again. <laughs> <laughs> well, as and women who are self-aware, no, it yeah. doesn't. And as women who are self-aware, one of the things that we're often cursed with is the awareness that we could be feeling differently about ourselves. And so it, for women who are really wanting to be body positive and have these really kind of positive experiences of their relationship with their body, that a bad body image day becomes another reason to beat themselves up. And then you get sucked into the spiral where you're shaming yourself for feeling shame and then good luck trying to get out of that. And so you're so right. If you notice that you're feeling self-critical or you're having a hard body image day that you say to yourself, okay, okay, I'm just noticing that. What do I do with that? Right. Okay. And then how do I take care of myself and forgive myself for that instead of allowing that to increase your self-criticism? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or if you're like me, you try to, you have a really strong tendency to, to want to numb those feelings. Like, I don't want to feel those. So I'm going to have a glass of wine. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to go get some new makeup. I'm going to do my hair. Like, I'm just going to try to like put on this mask and pretend like everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. What Annie and I talked about the other day, Annie, you said to me, I don't need more self-esteem. I need more self-compassion. There you go. Bingo. Yeah. And that's like Kristen Neff's work. Um, she's one of the gurus on self-compassion. She wrote a book called Self-Compassion. She, she talks about how that is actually more important than self-esteem because compassion 
includes the, the likelihood that there will be distress and suffering and, and failure, I use that in quotes, but that there will be loss and pain. And it's how we respond to those things that actually helps us move through the world with more grace and confidence, because then we're not afraid of failing. Because if we fail, then it doesn't increase more criticism or more pain. It's just another opportunity for us to love ourselves. Yes. Exactly. And that includes our bodies. Yeah. Um, so I have to ask, and I know yeah. your research didn't include boys or men, yeah. um, but as a mom of a boy and yeah. Jen has three boys, and I know a lot of our listeners have boys, what would, would you have any inclination on mm-hmm. how mother's body image affects men or boys? And is any of this information also applicable? Absolutely. We don't have as much research on that primarily because we've only seen started seeing recently that there's an increase in boys' body dissatisfaction. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was linked with the increase of social media and how kids are getting devices in their hands earlier and earlier. Whereas, you know, 50 years ago, um, the model of the, the ideal male was someone who went to work and had a job and could support their family. So there was male pressures that way. But we're seeing more and more distress around boys and body image um, now about 10% of, of people with eating disorders are boys. And so the rates of boys with eating disorders and men with eating disorders are rising. Um, we have more information about cross, um, more information about same sex influence of body messages. So dads to boys and moms to girls. Um, and there's, there's a little bit more to that, which I could explain maybe in an entirely different podcast, but there's, there's some preliminary research that shows that moms are really influential, but it's boys learning from other men and boys, what it means to be a man and a boy. And so that there's a socialization piece that happens when they start school around five or six and they learn to, they learn what's expected of them. And up until that point, and they've been in this probably really, um, uh, female oriented environment, spending most of their time with mom, likely, unless dad is also a care provider, a primary care provider at home. But for the most part, until kids go to school, they're surrounded primarily with women all the time. So we see that moms can be really powerful images or really powerful sources of influence for boys, but that there's something that happens when they start hanging out with other boys and that, that there's more and more expectation around around masculinity that shows up from men as a source of influence. Um, But we know that the commonalities across across the spectrum um, are things like, we don't want to speak poorly about your body. We don't want to tell you that you're more or less valuable if you gain or lose weight. We want to focus on health and functionality of the body. What can your body do for you? Wow, you climbed that tree. You got up there. Your body took you up there as opposed to, you know, you're looking chubby, Um, We want to see things like having kids learn how to do intuitive eating so that they're listening to their bodies to eat instead of eating to numb. You want to make sure that you're not just using food as reward. So every time they get a good grade, it's not that there's a cake or that they go for a special treat, but that there are other ways of rewarding things. Um, And those would be across, across the sexes that there's there's really no difference between boys and girls. Um, boys also need to learn how to do media literacy. So the more images that they're seeing, they need to learn how to think critically about those images and, and respond to them with a critical mind to say, you know, well, that's a really, a really ideal male body, but who do I know who looks like that? The same way that we would with images of women yeah. in magazines. Those are all really good suggestions. One thing um, that I read recently, because women have had to deal with the body ideal for decades now, mm-hmm. while you were talking about the rise of body dysmorphia and eating mm-hmm. disorders in boys, I was thinking about the rise of superhero movies that are currently mm-hmm. coming out. And yeah. my kids love superhero movies, my boys. Yeah. And I noticed in the last couple of months here, my middle son, who is just turned six, I, he was playing with his brothers and he flexed his arm and he mm. said, I am the most powerful. Mm. And I thought, this is the, this is the male body ideal coming mm-hmm. out in my kids. And, you know, I feel like my husband and I do do a really good job of speaking positively, but I, it's more this media literacy piece yeah. I think has to come in. And one thing I read as far as male body ideals, unattainable male mm-hmm. body ideals go, it was a, 
reading about, um, I can't remember which superhero it was. It might've been Hugh Jackman of Wolverine, but anyways, basically talking about how much of his life had to revolve around training and eating in order to get to that size. And in another article I read, one of the actors openly admitted that he could not get to that size naturally. It required um, basically steroids. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, this is the new male body ideal. um, And Mm -hmm. I'm really glad we're talking about this because I have boys and and it does need to be addressed in boys. Well, you can see those different images, um, the composite images of comparing ideal female body in the 50s, ideal male body in the 50s, and then ideal female body now, an ideal male body now, and the, the drive for thinness in the female ideal and the muscular, the hypermuscularity in the male ideal, and how often women are told basically to disappear and men are told with their bodies to take up more space. And that's what makes you valuable as a woman if you basically don't exist. And then if you take up lots of space and you are, like you said, really, really powerful. And so they, they tend to go in opposite directions. You don't see as much body image stuff for boys around wanting to be thinner. Oftentimes it's wanting to be more muscular and to be bigger. But you're right. If you look at the images that they're seeing, they're comparing themselves to something that doesn't even exist, like that can't naturally exist. And you actually have a whole chapter in your book on media literacy and Mm -hmm. interpreting and responding to images and messages. Uh, A lot of great suggestions about what parents can do, some reflection questions. Actually, Mm -hmm. you have great reflections at the end of every chapter, which I think- like free therapy. Yes, yes, it's it's just so great. And you know what, we've got to wrap up for today, but I would love to have you back on because I feel like there's so much more we can talk about. You're so amazing, Hillary. We're so lucky to are. Maybe if I just feel like crying, I'll just- Oh yeah. Let's <laughs> yeah. give you a call. But um, again, if you are listening and you haven't picked up a copy of Mothers, Daughters, and Body Image, Learning to Live Ourselves as We Are by Hillary L. McBride, you have to do so because it's just amazing. It's a it's a great read. I'm just gonna say I'm not much of a reader. <laughs> like I'll be honest, I'll own that. Good, um, good. but I just I just blew through this because oh. these stories broken up with the research, broken up with your experience and your questions was just fascinating. Yeah, it's the way you wrote. It's it's so relatable. You know, oh, yes. thank you. It, yeah. Yes. So thank you again for coming. You oh, were just a gem of information. Oh, oh I loved I just it. Had a blast. These are my favorite conversations to have, and we need to have way more of them. I agree. I agree. Thank you so much for your time, Hillary. We'll talk soon. Bye. 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 If you like what you heard today, I invite you to check out our free 30 minute workshop where Jennifer Lauren and I discuss how to reach your goals without dieting extremes and how to have fun while you get there, which you can find at balance365.co. That's B-A-L-A-N-C-E 365.co, as well as join nearly 30,000 women across the globe in our free Facebook community at Healthy Habits, Happy Moms. And if you really like what you heard today, be sure to give it a review on iTunes so we can keep bringing you amazing content. Thanks, everyone.